So Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. What was that about? What's the, why, why do you, why does he say that? What's, what's involved in that? An orphan is, it has the least amount of value socially in this uh, Okay, setting. okay, orphan, or an orphan with a low social standing. An orphan is abandoned. Jesus has been with them. He has been their rabbi. He has been their teacher. The, they have together been as family. They have they have traveled together. They have lived together. They have um, they have learned together. Uh, and uh, now he said, "I'm leaving. I'm going away." We saw it in Luke. The image of a of a nobleman being sent away to a far country to receive a kingdom, and then he would return. That's a good illustration that Jesus gives about what he's doing. The point being, he's going away. His servants are going to continue faithful in his absence. And so he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. So how is that true? If he's not going to be there, how does he not leave them as orphans? Okay, they're, they're, the presence of God is going to continue with them. And orphan, orphan actually speaks of father, doesn't it? Uh, in, in the Hebrew mindset, the Jewish mindset, um, you could have widows and orphans that were, st- the orphans still had a mom, but the orphan didn't have a father. Linda's saying, huh? <laughs> widows and orphans could be mom and children still. We think of orphans with absolutely no parents left. Both mom and dad have died. But in first century Jewish culture, the husband was the provider, the husband was the social identity, the husband and father was their anchor into the society at large. And so without that that father, the children were as orphans. So part of what the Lord is saying here is using that orphan imagery, I think, to remind them of their continued relationship with the Father, which up till now has been somewhat vicarious. What do I mean by vicarious? Living through others. Okay. Parents get vicarious joy and fulfillment by the achievements and accomplishments of their children. Okay? No pressure, Abigail. Just let me know. Uh, 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 the, the disciples have a relationship with the Father but it's kind of vicarious. It's through the Son who knows the Father intimately and fully and completely. And they know the Father through the Son. Right? Well, when Jesus leaves, there goes their connection to the Father. Right? That's got to be scary times. That's got to be um, the, the, uh, the connection, if you will, of their faith is going to leave. So I'm not going to leave you without the Father. I'm not going to leave you orphans. He uses the words orphans, but just saying without the Father, because of all that that being without the Father pictures, all the press of that is very well depicted in that term orphan, spiritual orphan. You had any spiritual orphans. And uh, how that happens, of course, um, the help of the Holy Spirit, verse 26, jump ahead a little bit. The Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. So he's talking all through these chapters, verses Uh, chapter 13, 14, 15, 16. Especially 14, 15, 16, he's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. So this is a theme, a key part of his going away. The upper room discourse is uh, he's preparing his disciples. We get this in John more than anywhere else. He's preparing his disciples for his imminent death, his imminent departure. 
And the key aspect of that is if they're not going to be orphans, how will they maintain that connection and relationship with the Father? And it will be by the Holy Spirit. How we experience that connection of not being orphans. Something can be true without the experience of it. A child could be an orphan, or a child could think the child was an orphan, and yet actually father is alive and well, and very prosperous, and has all kinds of resources that are going to be bestowed on the child. The child didn't know that. The child never knew father for some reason, some distance, whatever happened. And you can imagine some scenario that, that it's possible for a child to think they're an orphan when they're not. Um, yeah, Daniel. Uh, it kind of makes me think of the Holy Spirit like a, how the Holy Spirit bears witness that we are in Christ as like a, like actually like a scroll, like staples, you know, like a decree that's been nailed to your to your spirit that this one is saved, you know. And so like as you're going around your week trying to like feel God, I guess you know sometimes it's hard to feel it. The thing that's just been nailed to your soul, you have to actually read it. You know. That that uh, one of the aspects of faith is 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 knowing and confidence in what we haven't yet seen, mm-hmm. or for seeing you could you could substitute we haven't yet fully experienced. It hasn't yet been realized. The promise isn't realized, and yet the promise is not unsure at all. The evidence of things hoped for—that's faith. Uh, the assurance of things not yet seen. I say not yet seen because they will be seen. Um, how do we, though, experience that relationship, that not being orphans? How do we experience an ongoing vital relationship with the Father in a similar to way, in a similar way to which the disciples experienced the relationship with the Son? That's what this passage and the verses where you left off last week answer. And uh, we may be uncomfortable with the answer or the way that Jesus words it, because he words it kind of particularly for us. Let me, let me jump again to verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Any trouble with that so far? Whoever has my commandments, Jesus says, and keeps them, this is the one who loves me. If you love me, you will okay, it's another way of stating the same thing. Yeah. He keeps he keeps restating that in different ways and in different directions. It must be important. Must be important. Okay. So are we okay with that? That we we live out our love for the Lord by walking in his ways, doing what he has said. Okay with that. No trouble with that. Is that a matter of, of 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 earning or working for our salvation? Do we do what he says and obey his commandments in order to be saved and have relationship with him? He said to love to love one another as he loved us, or uh, to love one another as we love ourselves, right? Or as he loved us. Right. To, to love one another as I have loved right. you. That, okay, that, that's, that's the essence of his commandment. Well, loving is, loving is a choice. It's not something you can do. So if you're choosing to love because you believe in, then you're choosing to believe. We, yeah. easily, we easily define love as a feeling when love is an action word. Right. Okay, love is a verb. So you choose okay. to love, and that would be like you're actually worshiping, worship to God. Okay, so, so, so that connection of commandments. Now, here's where it gets harder. 
The one who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and show myself to him. Any trouble there? That was the, that was the one that, that Tim raised his hand on and said, no, no, we can't stop class yet. we got to deal with it. And I'm not sure what Dave left because I walked out of the hut at that point. So I'm not sure what he gave you, how he answered that for you. So I'm curious to find out. still 
doing the same things, walking in the ways of Jesus, walking in the will of the Father, even if Jesus were here, that's what he would be doing, and that's where the Holy Spirit, in the absence of God, the Spirit comes, or in the absence of Jesus, the Spirit comes, and the, the Spirit indwells us, we're not left as orphans, still the presence of God is here, not only with us, but abiding in us, and, the, and, and yet the Spirit still walks in harmony with God's will, is in harmony with the Father. God is not divided. God is not of many different minds. God is of one mind, of one purpose, and so the Spirit is going to be leading and doing the will of the Father, even as we see that perfectly demonstrated in Jesus, who in his humanity walked by the Spirit. So what's being talked about here is relationship with the Father, not, um, certainly not salvation. Not that beginning of the new covenant, but the living out of the new covenant of the Spirit abiding within. Yeah? Can I expand this just a little bit? Absolutely. Uh, John 3.16 tells us. Yeah. It's the whole world. So yeah. it's not a matter of, of, of God loving what we experience mm-hmm. and the way we experience it is by our uh, continually pursuing or following him yeah. he loves us, yeah. that's not yeah. the issue here yeah. it's love is a large and elastic word yeah. I love donuts <laughs> I love my wife I love God and I love each of those things differently and I mean something different by each of those statements and yet I use the same word it's a large and elastic word and uh, here it's talking about that, that experiential love, the experience of the loving relationship. You say, well, God loves everybody. What do you mean he will love me if? God loves the world. God loves those who are, who are obstinate rebels against him. Dave says uh, that, puts it like that uh, God chooses us no matter what, that he loves us, that the whole world is different. For God so chooses the whole world, no matter what, that He sent His old, His only Son. That even if there was just God, one, God so God so loved the world. He loved those that aren't walking in His obedience. So that saving love is not conditioned on obedience. Um, turn over to First John, First John chapter one. John chapter 1 and verse 1, that was from the that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched, and our hands handled concerning the word of life. This is this is the apostolic witness. This is the apostles' first-hand knowledge of the Son of God. We know him. We experienced him. We saw, we touched, we heard the life of was manifest, and we've seen it, and we testify and proclaim to you. We are subject to the, to the apostolic witness, because we don't have that first-hand encounter with the living, breathing, incarnate Jesus. We didn't see him before his death. We didn't see him physically, bodily, at his resurrection. We did not put our, our fingers into the nail prints. We did not put our hand into his side. We weren't there with Thomas. We weren't there in the empty tomb with Peter and John. We'll have to take their testimony of that. And that's the role as apostles. So our, our faith stands upon the, apost- the apostles, the apostolic witness. 
Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Why? So that, for the purpose that you too may have fellowship with us. John wants other people to have fellowship with John. Is that what that means? No. We want you to have fellowship along with us. He clarifies, who is our fellowship with? Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete, or that your joy may be complete. It, it, it says in some versions. Now that, that line, I had, it, I had this, the notes written in, in, a, in a different piece of paper, which I did not bring with me this morning, but that same thrust of that your joy may be full, is all, I think it's funny, is it in... 1511. Ah, yes, Jesus says in John 1511, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Same thing John says later in 1 John. That he wants, he invites them into the same fellowship relationship with the Father and with the Son, which occurs, is possible for us, by the Spirit. Now Jesus says, have you gotten to the place in John yet? I think you were already there where Jesus says, greater things will you do because I go to the Father. And why greater things? Because now redemption is complete. The, the price has been paid. Jesus dies and is resurrected. Now redemption is open. Not only that, but because of reconciliation, because Jesus died, because there is no longer separation between us and God, our sin is removed, the Holy Spirit can dwell us. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Unclean vessels being the temple of the Spirit, is that possible? They happen in exile. Is it possible for unclean vessels to be the temple of the Holy Spirit? God left at the exile in Ezekiel's vision, the presence of God leaves because the temple is unclean. He can't stay. How is it that the Spirit can abide, dwell in this unclean temple? How is that possible? We've been made clean by the blood of Jesus. We are not unclean. That's right. We are clean. The presence of the Spirit within the believer, the fact of the indwelling Spirit, is evidence in and of itself that I am clean. That sin has been completely put away. That's, a, that's a, a theological aside, really. But it's huge. It's exciting because it's huge that we are that clean. We are as clean as the Holy of Holies, the inner room in the temple where the presence of God actually dwelt. We are that clean and that pure and that unique in God's eyes. That's what Christ's death has done for us. So the Spirit can come and abide only because Jesus went away. What he means by went away is... I'm about to die. And then I will rise from the dead. So the Father's right hand, continuing to make intercession for you. Daniel. Uh, after he, after he uh, tells them that, uh, he, he says, um, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but... Uh, so he, he's talking about... Okay, okay, haven't got there yet. I'll get to those verses, haven't got there yet. Let's, let's, um, so, in, in verse 22, so Judas asks the question, how is it you're going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? The answer goes back to that new covenant answer. That the essence of the new covenant is, I will put my spirit within you. And, uh, and you will know me. 
Uh, when the new covenant is full, all of God's people will know him. And his spirit abides within them. Is that the everlasting covenant that God The new covenant is an eternal covenant. When God spoke to Abraham, did you think an everlasting covenant? Well, That's the new covenant flows, flows out of that. Let's, we don't want to get too many pieces moving, Daniel, okay? We get too many different parts um, floating around, and it'll, it'll get confusing for us. But um, it'll get confusing for me anyway. But so, so it's not a conditional love. It's a relational love. And let me throw one more verse at you that Jude mentions. Jude, I think it's verse 25 of the book of Jude. That's chapter 1, verse 25 in the book of Jude. Because there's only one chapter in the book of Jude. I think it's verse 25. This is a troubling verse for us as well until today. No, it's not verse 25. Uh, it's verse 21. I back up to verse 20 for context. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. What? Keep yourselves in the love of God. That could, if misread, seem like a scary verse. I have got to keep myself in God's love. Because I might fall out of God's love. God might not love me anymore. God loved the whole world once, but God might not love me anymore if I don't do something to keep myself in the love of God. What's being discussed here? Uh, um, um, calm my anxious thoughts here, my worry about my relationship with God. I come to you and I say, I saw this verse and it scares me. How can I keep myself in God's love? How would you, how would you answer me, Abigail? You're smiling, so you know, so go ahead. Help me. I'm not going to say a word. I'm not, not going to do it. Okay, I won't put you on the spot. Then. Anybody, how would you answer my anxious thoughts there? It's like, it's like a, just when you're, the Spirit of God moving on you is, um, you can choose to ignore that and like be stiff arm it and just go your own way anyway. But when you don't, that's God's love and He's communicating to you as you go about your day. And when you listen and do the things that are of Jesus, then that is staying in God's love. Okay. Right okay. So is this is this talking about saving love? No. John three sixteen love? Or is this talking about John 14, 21? Yeah, obedience love. It's talking about relationship. It's talking about keeping yourself in relationship. In in uh, in in unity with the Father. So that abiding that he's going to he's going to draw out further in chapter 15, which we won't get to today, but but he's, in chapter 15, he's really illustrating what he said at the end of chapter 14. Okay, so keep ourselves in the love of God is staying in relationship. And we will be in relationship with the Father, and the Father then in relationship with us in the same way that Jesus, in his humanity, had relationship with the Father by the Spirit. Remember, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God incarnate, and yet the Holy Spirit descends upon him. Jesus says that he is fit to preach, he is fit to be the prophet announced by Moses in Deuteronomy 18. He's the, he's, he is fit to be that prophet because, the, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus, in his humanity, lived a perfectly human life, and a perfectly human life is a life lived independence upon the Spirit of God. It's, it's, it's hard for us to think about Jesus because he's God, depending on the Spirit, and yet he does. And he wrestles there in the garden, and he wrestles 
with the same temptation to not go through with it that you or I certainly would. Jesus, in his humanity, faces that same temptation. Let this cup pass from me. And yet he settles on the will of the Father. That's what he tells us to do here. His will is the Father's will. To abide in His will is to abide in the Father's will. Okay, how will you show us, uh, uh, how, you, how, how is it you will show us yourself to us and not to the world? Verse 22, they, they were expecting a Christ who would manifest Himself to everybody, right? And Jesus is going to be going away to a far country to receive a kingdom and then coming back again later. But in the meantime, He's going to continue to show Himself and that by the Spirit. And that relationship is lived out. His answer sounds like a repeat of verse 21. Guys, turn your miracle here up. You didn't hear me the first time. So he restates it. He says it again. But he's answering the question. The way Jesus will show himself to us, the way he shows the Father, the way the Father comes near to us as his children is described in verse 22. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. We will come to him and make our home with him. You want to be close to God. You want to be close to the Father. This is not an emotional thing. It's a walk in his ways. So, to him, trust and obey. For there's no other way. It feels like to the, the, the phrase to be happy in Jesus is... is doesn't quite capture it. If we use John's language, we would say to have fullness of joy. There's no other way to have fullness of joy, but it doesn't quite fit the whole rhyme of the song. But to trust and obey. That's, that will be, we trust him. We believe. We have faith. We have confidence. We trust him. That's why we obey. Whatever we do shows what we believe, doesn't it? Some of you came here this morning because you believed Dave would be teaching. <laughs> 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 but what you believe determines what you do. What you know determines what you can believe, and what you believe drives what you do. So that's why James says, well, show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works, because what James believes drives what James does. So, so here, our faith is shown in what we do. And there's a linking between the two. And he says, those commandments that you have for me walk in my that's how you will experience a relational closeness with the Father. We, we, we are easily distracted, and the enemy easily draws us aside in all kinds of subtle and little ways, as well as big ones. But it's, still, it's the little ones. It's the little sense that hearing the voice of God that I should do this, whether it's from I need to, I get up in the morning and I, I'm, I'm more curious about the news rather than what the Bible says. Or I'm more, I'm more um, curious about um, um, sitting on the couch. At the end of the day, it's kind of tired. And I pull out my phone and I'm playing a game when I could. And, and it's in my mind, go help Julie do this which is what I should do, which fits right into with the Father's will, which has been declared to me in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Um, be a servant. Give yourselves for them. And, and but I'm very busy playing freeso on my smartphone. I'm old school. That's the game I play on my smartphone. It's pitiful, but there it is. But, but, but we experience 
we experience, our, our, our faith, what we believe and what we do are, are linked together, and we experience relationship with God. The simplicity of it is, walk in the light that you have. Walk in the light that you have, and you'll receive more light. We cannot receive more light if we walk in darkness. That's what John's saying in 1 John. If we walk in the light, oh, I, I didn't finish reading the 1 John before we got distracted elsewhere. We went on to Jude eventually, but we didn't finish reading 1 John. In 1 John, he explains it. I'll do that, and then we'll move on from this one. If I can find 1 John again. Okay, so he wants us to have fellowship with him. That was verses 3 and 4, right? So that our joy would be full. And this is the message. See, verse 5 isn't disconnected from verse 4. It is in my Bible. There's a break there. There's a new heading and everything. But just push that aside for a moment. Joy may be complete. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, you see the same, same topic. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Because he's not in darkness. God is light, in him is no darkness at all. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, there we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. So that walking in the light as he is in the light, you cannot be continuing to experience the relationship with Jesus if Jesus is on his way to Bethany and the disciples stay on the other side of Jordan. Or if the disciples stay in Galilee when Jesus is traveling through Luke on that last journey down towards Jerusalem. They can't continue to experience relationship with Jesus if they're not walking alongside of him in his will, which is in the Father's will. And so for us, there's no other way than to trust and obey. Those things that you know the Lord would have you to do, you can say, but God will forgive me, right? God will forgive me. I mean, I can, I, I, I'm going to do what I want to do, because God will forgive me. Hmm. Okay. But it's interesting. I'm not, I, I don't want to upset you too much here. But John's assurance of forgiveness in 1 John comes in the discussion if we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with him and the blood of Jesus Christ his son. Because the light exposes stuff in us and his son cleanses us. That, that promise comes, the assurance and joy of forgiveness comes in the midst of walking with him, not in rebellion. Rebellion is not, to, not the place to experience the joy of forgiveness. I'll say it that way. I'm not saying God will not forgive your rebellion. I'm saying rebellion is not the place to enjoy the richness of God's forgiveness. You won't enjoy it there. Not in the midst of rebellion. Okay, we need to move on here because there's even better stuff here. We haven't even got to the good stuff yet. Okay, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. How will I know the will of my Father? How will I know how to walk in his ways? That's going to be the job of the Spirit. That's going to be the role of the Spirit. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What are they afraid about? In the context, what's happening? What, this is the night before his arrest. He's told them he's going to die. What are they afraid of? If he's uh, afraid. I don't think we comprehend all what he's saying. 
Okay. But they're getting enough. They're getting enough. They're getting enough that, that he's already had to tell them, don't worry, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. They have this sense that he's leaving. It feels kind of like abandonment. It feels like Jesus is about to lay down his life for the cause because they're not, they're not settled on, re- on resurrection. That's not where their hope and confidence is. They're not rejoicing with him that he's going back to the Father. So that all of this peace, all of this uh, troubledness that they have is related to his departure and their being left without him. And so everything that he's saying is assuring how, how to continue to have relationship. Don't worry, the Spirit is going to come. You're not going to be left as orphans. You'll have relationship with the Father, not by way of me vicariously, but directly through the Spirit for yourself. You'll have relationship with the Father. Verse 28. Uh, to some extent, they would, they would know the Old Testament promise. But again, their anticipation of a kingdom and the experience of that promise of the Spirit was with the king. The king's going away. The, king, the king's laying down his life and though he's told them, they might understand, but it hasn't settled in, that he's going to die in order to rise from the dead. That part is, that's, that's, not, that's not where their hope is. I'm really glad they're so slow at that. That's, that's often not where our hope is either. And... Um, God is very patient with us, very gracious. Um, he says here, If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, in verse 28, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Any trouble there? Jesus says the Father is greater than I. And Abigail smiled again. She said, yeah, there, there's something there. She's not going to say what it is, also. We'll have to get somebody else to. What's the problem with that verse? Well, Jehovah's Witnesses love you there. Oh, Jehovah's Witnesses will take you. Who else? The Mormon. Anybody that denies the Trinity... Anybody that denies the uh, three persons, um, uh, the, 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 the co-eternal, co-existent, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune God, anybody that denies the deity of Christ will say, Jesus is not equal with God because Jesus himself says, the Father is greater than I. Well, didn't he already answer that when he was asked about his authority, what authority, in chapter 5? That uh, the Father has life in Himself and gives life to the Son. Okay. Right. Well, that that also that also could can be used to argue that the Son is thus dependent on the Father. The Father is greater than the Son, so then the Son cannot be equal to the Father. Jesus. If Jesus has what the Father gave Him only, then the Father is greater than the Son. Yeah. Before Abraham was, I am. Yeah. They created major. Uh, they were in stoning for that one. Okay. God. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They cut the the Jewish, but couldn't. Uh, I'm going to play the um, <laughs> devil's advocate. Is that what Jehovah's Witnesses are? <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm going to play the devil's advocate. I'm going to say yes. Jesus existed before Abraham. But the Jewish people misunderstood what he was saying. That's why they got so bent out of shape that he was he was he claims merely to be the first created being. God created Jesus and then through Jesus created everything else. That's what they would say. So here we are, stuck again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they understood it that way, but Jesus didn't mean it that way, some people could say. Well, 
So now, now we're stuck trying to argue back and forth about what did first century Jewish people understand. That's a hard argument to keep. Well, they understood it one way, but did they understand him correctly? They didn't understand him correctly lots of times. When you go to stone somebody, you better have a pretty serious charge. Well, they, they, they sought to put Jesus to death because um, he spoke blasphemy. <laughs> so we go round and round. Well, we can go to all uh-huh. sorts of the trial. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Let me take you someplace different that I came across a minute. Like, wow, that's brilliant. It's 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 a evidence of the deity of Christ on the back of a napkin. Okay. All right. So if you've got a sketch, if you got something to sketch on, you can sketch this out. Got a napkin there. Okay. Linda's got a napkin. Great. There we go. Draw yourself a box. And in that, that box, we're going to label that whole box. See, a classic place to understand the deity of Christ is John chapter 1 and verse 1. You can quote it. Go ahead and let's work together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Oh my goodness. The Word was with God. That tells you they are distinct. They are distinct. They are different. And yet the word was God, that tells you, that speaks of the word as also deity, and yet not identical with God. Or we could say the Father. If for word we understand Son, because that comes out later in John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So word is the Son, the expression of God, and the uh, God is God the Father, the Creator, okay? So the word was with God, separate, and the Word was God. Now, Joe's Witness comes along, and their Bible, in fact, will read, the Word was a God. A God, but less than the God. And they will say there's an indefinite article in the Greek. The Greek doesn't have indefinite articles, by the way. So, uh, it, has definite, it has a definite article, it has a the, it does not have an a. It just does not exist in Greek. Okay, so you can't say there's a... So that's a matter of interpretation. But now you're stuck arguing Greek grammar with a Jehovah's Witness. When you, you nor they understand Greek grammar. So that's, a, that's, that's often not terribly successful. You'll remain convinced, hopefully, of what you believe. They'll remain convinced of what they believe. Let's bring it down to verse 3, however. All things were made through him, the Word, and without him was not anything made that was made. Okay? Now, this box contains everything that exists. Okay? That's not, that's not difficult to grasp. Inside that box, everything that exists. Okay? Now we're going to divide the box in two. There we go. Two parts to the box. In one side of the box, we're going to put everything everything that was made, or everything that was created. Everything that was created goes in that side of the box, and the only thing that can be in the other side of the box is everything not made. Or created. 
So we have things that were created or made, we have things that are not created or made. Those are the only two categories we have of everything that exists. Okay? From a, 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 a creative creation view of, of the universe. Either things were made or things were not made. Is there anything that exists that was not made or created? Sorry? God, okay, so where would you put God? Which, 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 which box would you put God in? No, 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 no. He's, he's the everything that exists type. No, no everything, everything that exists is divided into two subcategories. There are things that are made and things that are not made. I understand, but I would, I would, I would say that he is actually the everything that exists, and he's outside the box. <laughs> well, the problem with that is... Um, it's, 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 it's a logical argument that of everything that exists, that includes, that you could draw the subsets differently. You could have everything, things, in, in a subset within, a circle within, that is things that are made. Outer set is things that are not made. You could do it that way, but it's done this way for a reason. Okay. So we're going to put God in this box. Would you like to put God in a box? Okay. So we put God in a box. Now, which box? Okay, okay, well, the things that are made, things that are made, who made the things that are made? The Word. According to John 1, 3, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So, there is nothing in this box that was not made by the Word. Okay? With me so far? It clearly says that. Everything, everything was made, everything that was made, apart from Him was not anything made that was made. Okay? Okay, so... Which box do you put Jesus in? Think like a Jehovah's Witness for a minute. You ask the Jehovah's Witness, which of those two boxes, which of those two categories would you put, where would you put Jesus in this diagram? Both. You can't put him in both because the law of the excluded middle. That's why I've got two boxes side by side, and I didn't do a concentric circle, because the law of the excluded middle says you have to choose one or the other. Everything that exists falls into one of two categories. Things made, things not made. That's why I did it that way. Because they want to put them in both. They want to put them across both, and you can't. The excluded middle says you have to put them in one or the other. I put them in the God box, then. Okay. As a Jehovah's Witness, I would quote John 3.16 and say, He was a begotten son, so he's obviously... So the Jehovah's Witness wants to, they have to, they can't put him here, they've got to put him here. What's the problem with that? He made everything here. That's right. John 3, and the, the, the beauty of it is this. And, the, and now the now the now the Mormons have a different out because they they use the King James Bible, which reads just like your King James Bible which reads just like this, the, in verse 1 and verse 3. The New World Translation Joe's Witnesses use reads differently in verse 1, but they didn't do anything with verse 3. 
verse 3 reads just fine. So they're... Verse 1 is a little confused, but verse 3 is very clear. You can use their Bible to answer the question here. That you cannot put Jesus in this box because everything, there's nothing that can go in this box that wasn't made by Jesus. So, Jesus is not less than the Father in terms of his divinity. That's not what he is saying. What is he saying <clears throat> well, he's going to return to the greater glory that he had before his incarnation. That he, he, he's, going, he's going to express that in John 17. As we get ahead a little bit further in John 17, he's going to express that. Um, in John 15, or rather, 1 Corinthians 15 28. 1 Corinthians 15 28 talks about the future. When all things are subjected to the Son, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, God, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. The in, even within the Trinity, the problem is our understanding of the, of the triune God. Within the Trinity, there also is order. And you can see some parallel of this in marriage, in that in that men and women are created equal, and yet there's order. In any place of employment, human beings are equal, certainly in standing with God, and yet there's an order. There is a different authority, different responsibility. And even in the Godhead, the, 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 the persons of the Trinity, now God is not in a box, okay? God is bigger than our ability to comprehension, comprehend him, that's the trouble with the, with the Trinity. We are the potter, or, or rather we are the clay pots, he is the potter. The clay pots have trouble comprehending the potter. We have trouble comprehending, getting our minds completely around the creator because he's bigger than our minds. That ought to be that way. That tells us we're in the right direction. But when Jesus says the Father is greater, he's talking about that greater glory. He's talking about the authority of the Father. That uh, he has lived among them as a human with them, dependent on the Spirit like them. The Father is not dependent on the Spirit. And the Father is going to, the same relationship that Jesus has had with the Father, they are now going to have with the Father by the Spirit. You should rejoice, he says, not only for me, for my glory, that I'm going to be sitting at the Father's right hand. You should rejoice because of your even greater relationship with the Father himself by the Spirit. If you really got this, you would say, thank you, Jesus, for being willing to go so that the Spirit could come. Because the Spirit can't come until he goes, right? Not because there's not room for more than one person of the Trinity on earth at a time, but he has to die for us so that we are reconciled to God and there's no reason for the Spirit not to come. There's no separation from us any longer. So because he dies for us, the Spirit can come and we have the same kind of relationship with the Father as Jesus himself had. Boggles our minds. It's beyond us. So where would you uh, contrast say, uh, having a conscience, like say it's a, as a young child, you know, has a conscience, not necessarily that they believe in Christ or not, but then say at some point, believing in Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit who convicts you, 
Um, where do you uh, where do you contrast your conscience and the Holy Spirit? Like, because even an unbeliever has a conscience. Right, and so so conscience is within us, within our minds, and 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 the and the spirit. I would I would I, I, I would go to Romans chapter two, but I'm not going to do that now because of the time. Okay. But uh, but but yeah, don't think of the Holy Spirit as as something like our conscience or an impersonal force that God communicates through. The Spirit is the very presence of God. That's why He could not come. Until Jesus goes, He could not come until in, in, until Jesus dies for us, because the Spirit is the very presence of God Himself, like the Shekinah glory in the temple, that kind of glorious presence working out, glorifying these frail vessels. So then Jesus says, verse twenty nine, I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. He knows they don't get it yet, Jack. He knows that they don't. It doesn't all sunk in yet. But still he says, I tell you this ahead of time so that afterward when the Spirit reminds you that I told you this, you'll say, oh wow, he said all of that before. And it's true. And that should be what happens for us. We go back and we read and we said, oh wow, he said all that before and it happened just as he said. And I put my toe in the water and I've experienced some of it. And ought to make us hunger for more. Our time is gone. Our time is more than gone. I can't take on Dave anymore because I'm over, over stretched as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you love us so much that you have given your spirit. Thank you, Father, that you have shown us yourself. And even this morning, to get a, a little glimpse of something about the person of Christ. His care for us. His care for his disciples. Lord, this chapter also tells us something. Not merely things to learn about the Godhead. It tells us something about your loving care for us that you wanted us to know. That Jesus painstakingly, patiently teaches his disciples because you want us to know you. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, then give us the courage and the confidence in you to know you by walking with you, by walking in your ways. Help us, Lord, as we, as we seek to do that today even in the next service, as we seek to do that as we worship, as we seek to do that as we, as we give ourselves to one another, as we seek for somebody to love, to encourage, to um, speak a kind word to this morning. Father, use us to minister to others. And in that, to walk in your way. We pray in Jesus' name.